Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to the Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. I wanted to do a very different show today, given that Pac-12 Media Day is tomorrow. You're going to want to be here 3 to 6 p.m. for Pac-12 Media Day as I will be interviewing Dan Lanning, Jonathan Smith. I'll be interviewing Bo Nix right here on the show, Caleb Williams, Michael Penix Jr. Coach Prime was supposed to be on the BFT and make his debut. He will not be there. Uh, but I wanted to do a different show today in uh, kind of the run-up to it. And I wanted to bring on our next guest. Andrew Percival is his name. He worked for Major League Baseball in analytics and data. He has uh, worked in uh, financial technology and uh, data and analytics and He's geeked out on college football schedules, and I stumbled to him, uh, stumbled upon him on social media a couple of years ago. He's a really good follow. He's doing, doing something really cool with college football schedules, but I wanted to bring him on and talk about what he sees in the Pac-12, what he sees in the SEC 10, and have him kind of explain his journey, his path to uh, you know turning a career, a hobby into a career or a business, a side hustle, so to speak. Andrew Percival joining us. Andrew, how are you? I'm pretty good. How are you, John? Doing well. Doing well. Media day tomorrow. And I just thought this was a good... I saw your tweets last week about, you know, each of the schedules and kind of some things that jumped out at you. But before we get into that, let's get into how you became the schedule guy on Twitter, because you're putting these things out and they're pretty cool. And I'll tell our listeners how to get one if they want to if they want to order one at the end of this. But give us kind of the background, you know, with your background in baseball, your background uh, in your other career. How did you sort of fall into the scheduling stuff? Um, well, it, it started um, around 2011 when um, in the uh, the dog days of summer, when we're all just counting those days till college football season starts, I decided to have some fun with an Excel template and put together a Pac-12 schedule with um, merged in, in a very detailed uh, box-like grid with all the logos pasted in there and tried to make it aesthetically pleasing but also informative as far as the games that we all had to look forward to in the fall and um, had a lot of fun distributing them to friends and family around um, around the office and, and relatives and bantering with fellow fans um, of the Pac-12. And then the next year um, – decided to start making them for, for all 12 conferences. So it's really um, become a uh, labor of love. Yeah, and, you know, you, you put the schedules out, and I got to wonder, you know, when you first started doing it, you probably considered it a hobby. Is it still a hobby in your mind, is it, or is it pivoted into a business? Oh, it's it's absolutely a hobby. Um, I uh, I work in fintech, and I'm very, very happy doing that. Um, all of my college football work is uh, purely purely for the love of it. All right, let's start with just some takeaways on your schedules. And, uh, you know, I'll go conference by conference if you don't mind. And you just kind of tell me what you saw, what you noticed. Um, you know, let's start with the Pac-12 conference. As you as you look at the grid and as you uh, start to drill down on it, what jumps out at you? Well, um, big picture view, a, a very typical conference schedule. Um, and, and that's something that doing the schedule exercise year after year really teaches you is that the, the big picture scheduling patterns for, for all the conferences do not change very much. Um, everybody's, all the P5s are looking to play seven home games. Um, and, um, so with, with the Pac-12, you have 27 non-conference games, 12 of them against Power 5 opponents, 15 of them against G5 opponents, and 9 against FCS opponents. That's all very typical. Um, 
U- Utah and Colorado play two P5s. Oregon State, UCLA, and Washington State do not play a P5. And then um, there were two random Power 5 matchups that really jumped out at me. Um, and one of them, Auburn um, goes to Cal, which I think just from a, as, as we picture like a, a real SEC program like Auburn marching into Berkeley, that's just kind of a fun thing to visualize. I'm excited for that one. And then uh, Wisconsin goes to Pullman um, on September 9th, and that is the first Power 5 opponent to go to Pullman since 1998. And so as a, uh, even though I'm a, I'm a Husky fan, but I'm, I'm really happy that the Cougs are able to book that that series, and, and that's difficult for, for them. So um, I was thrilled to see that. Um, there are a number of strong group of five teams on the schedule, like they, there are most years, but we've got Boise State, Fresno State, San Diego State, on, on the schedule, and then um, there there are very few unwinnable games. Um, I, I was really only only able to identify two: Notre Dame, Stanford, TCU, Colorado, um, probably long shot games for the conference. But among the contenders, and we'll talk about that a little bit in a second. But there is no equivalent to um, Oregon and Georgia this year. So um, I, th- I think it's, it's definitely a, a schedule the league was to level up and, and perform well. Um, they, they could come out of it um, looking looking pretty pretty strong. And, and, and then um, another meaningful nugget on, on the conference schedule, USC has a bye before the Pac-12 championship game, and, and that is um, because of the, the Stanford-Notre Dame matchup the last week of the season, which causes kind of a trickle-down effect. Um, and so USC – has a buy. So if they were to make it to Las Vegas, they would be facing an opponent um, that either has six or seven days of rest versus USC's 14 days of rest. So that, that certainly jumped out at me as well. Yeah, 100%. Uh, that jumped out at me right when I saw the schedule. I went, wait a minute, two buys and a buy in front of the uh, conference championship game. Andrew Percival is with us. He's the schedule guy. Uh, more or less when it comes to college football. But you also pointed out in your tweet that there were five crucial non-conference games, USC-Notre Dame, Texas Tech-Oregon, Florida-Utah, Utah-Baylor, Washington-Michigan State. You think, and I agree with you, that all teams will be favored in all of those games. Those games feel big, don't they? They are absolutely huge. And and, and non-conference play as a whole for every league is critical um, and if, if you look at um, the Pac-12 going back to 20, from 2011 to 2016, the Pac-12's winning percentage in regular season non-conference games was 752. But if you look at 2017 to 2022, um, the, the Pac-12's winning percentage in regular season non-conference games fell from 752 to 657. That's almost a 100-point dip, while the other – uh, four power five leagues all held um, pretty constant from, from where they were. So um, there's certainly been a perception that the league is, is down and you can very precisely identify the year when it took that turn. And so um, a, a strong non-conference performance in those 36 games would um, position the league, um, would, would just elevate the, the perception um, and, and the analytics of, of all of the league play that follows. And so of those games, the scary thing about them 
is that none of them are, are slam dunks. Um, I, if, with my analytics model, I've got um, USC Notre Dame is, is a 50-50 game, and then the other four are between 60 and 70% win probability. So that means that 5-0 and is unlikely, but um, if they were to, to, to make that, that would be absolutely huge for the league. Um, and then um, beyond those five, um, I mean, we are talking about 36 non-conference games, and so it's not all about the, the, the big power five matchups among contenders because part of the Pac-12's problems in recent years has been they've dropped a lot of games to G5 opponents and um, that's going to happen on occasion but it can't happen at nearly the rate that it has and so among the among the group of contenders and, and I bucket the contenders the same as, as everybody else does with USC, Oregon, Utah, Washington, Oregon State and I, I put UCLA in that group as well. Um, you've got five what I'm calling um, hold serve, critical hold serve games Washington, Boise State, Oregon State, San Jose State, San Diego State, Oregon State, Coastal Carolina, UCLA, and UCLA, San Diego State. A few of those are on the road. Um, I've got them all between 75 and 87% win probability for the Pac-12. So 5-0 and is possible, not a guarantee, uh, but it certainly would be fantastic. Um, and then beyond that, um, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a top-to-bottom Pac-12 fan. I mean, I, I, I root for the Pac-12 in every non-conference game um, in Oregon, but um, although that, that may be changing moving <laughs> forward, but um, five icing on the cake games. You've got Cal Auburn, Washington State, Wisconsin, Arizona State, Oklahoma State, Arizona State, Fresno State. Those are All four of those are at home, and then Arizona at Mississippi State. Those are all games that um, the Pac-12, maybe with the exception of the, of the Fresno State game, I think the Pac-12 might be a slight underdog. So it sure would be nice to, uh, to win a few of those as well. You mentioned the five contenders, USC, Oregon, Utah, Washington, Oregon State. Let's focus on them. Um, you know, they will not really play each other until Oregon State plays Utah in, in uh, about week six of the season. And then, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven becomes just uh, all these crossovers between those great teams. But what jumps out from those schedules? Who has it easiest? Who has it hardest? So it's certainly there, – there are two that really stood out, um, one who stood out as the easiest, one who stood out as the hardest. And then everything in the middle, I think, is debatable. But um, to me, the clear easiest among the group of contenders is Oregon State. Um, so uh, depending on how we bucket UCLA, they have either two or three contenders at home, only one on the road. They miss USC, who most of the analytic – analytics models we'll see as the, the the number one contender i mean this group of five is bunched pretty closely but if you had to pick one i think they're probably the favorite so oregon state misses them they don't have any power five non-conference opponents they have the latest buy of the contenders and it's and it's not too late it's it's week nine october 21 so i think that 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 works to their advantage before uh before you know the gauntlet towards the end um they do have five pac-12 road games and they do have UW and Oregon back-to-back um, November 18th and, and November 24th. Um, so the, their toughest game is, is definitely the, the Civil War at Austin, um, you know, if everybody is how we think they are. But if Oregon State really is a, a top-20 caliber team, and they certainly look like it at the end of last year, this is a schedule that um, will, will help them um, as they make a run. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so on the easiest, and I think there, there's also an argument for USC 
because they've got um, they've got two of the contenders at home, three if you count UCLA, only one on the road. That's Oregon. They've got five Pac-12 home games. They've got Washington at home in in what will be UW's second consecutive road game. UW's at Stanford the week before. Um, so I, I would put USC in there. Um, and then I mean that's not to make not even mention the the buy if they are able to get to Las Vegas, but. The complicating factor with that is that they've got by far the hardest non-conference game um, in the conference, and that's um, at Notre Dame, October 14th. And so it's like if you're looking just conference play, I think you can certainly make a case uh, for USC to be included with Oregon State. But um, if we're going uh, holistic schedule, I I think um, it's definitely Oregon State. How about the most difficult Pac-12 schedule among the contenders? It looks like Utah to me. You, you, You agree with that? They're the only contender to play every other contender and then three of them are on the road, and then they've got the two T5s on top of that. They've got Oregon State on the road on a Friday. Um, and so I, I think, um, I think you know, on, on, as far as the schedule stuff, it's, it's the Utes who I think, you know, even if they were to maintain, you know, the same quality as last year, I think that on that alone they're going to have a hard time winning the league. All right. On your Pac-12 schedule poster, you have something called accomplishment points. You know, tell our listeners what it what what accomplishment points are and and uh, why you why you geek out on that. Um, so so that 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 is a graphic depicting how successful each program has been in in stacking the trophy case since 1946, and um, it's a formula based on national championships, major bowl wins, and um, AP top 20 finishes. And to be honest with you, the the um, I, I originally made it as a way to, um, you know, even though I, I, I fashion myself as a, as a serious objective analyst, I mean, I have a lot of fan in me too, and I'm a Washington <laughs> fan. So I made it originally as a way to troll um, the Oregon fans in my life and, and living up here in Seattle, we're certainly around a lot of them. And um, so the, the original schedule that came out in 2011 had a lot more purple than green on it. It did kind of backfire on me as uh, certainly the next four years, um, Oregon, had some of their the best seasons in their history and really started closing that history gap. And so um, you'll see. I mean, it, it'll state the obvious and that USC's trophy case is, is pretty stacked. And then beyond that, you've got Washington, UC Oregon, um, and, and then um, it kind of goes down from there. So um, those those are fun to look at. Um, and and the just data visualization and, and, and stuff like that, um, I, I like to geek out on that. All right, coming up, I'm going to ask Andrew who he thinks is going to make the Pac-12 championship game in Vegas. He's run some numbers. He's looked at the schedule. He's poured over it like nobody else. Who gets to Vegas? More with Andrew Percival coming up. We're talking college football schedules, Pac-12 schedules. Again, Pac-12 Media Day tomorrow in Las Vegas. This show will be live 3 to 6 p.m. Dan Lanning will be on the show. Bo Nix will be here. Uh, Jonathan Smith will be here. Shador Sanders, the Colorado quarterback, will be here. Caleb Williams, the reigning Heisman Trophy winner, all will be here. But which two Pac-12 teams will make it back to Las Vegas at the end of the season? Andrew Percival has been kind enough to join us uh, and stick around for a second segment. Andrew, you uh, geek out on the schedules. You look at all of the analytics. You run models on this stuff. Who makes it to Las Vegas, in your mind, who is most likely to get to Vegas in the conference championship game come December? It's a really, really hard question. Um, so my, my the, the, the analytics model, I do a consensus of a bunch of computer rankings out there. Um, and, 
convert those into point point spreads and win probabilities for every FBS versus FBS game. And so that kind of perspective on the sport, you, you tend to – what tends to happen, um, especially if teams are bunched in quality, like um, certainly the, the top four to five contenders in the Pac-12 are, um, it really comes down to um, – you know, a, a bounce here or there. Uh, it sees USC, Oregon, Utah, Washington, Oregon State all very close. And so um, I haven't even produced um, conference win projections yet, but I would say based on Utah having clearly the hardest schedule um, and then USC being probably the best team, I would, I would pick USC and Oregon to make – the, the conference, if I had to pick two teams to make the conference championship game, those would be the two um, that I go with. Um, but I think um, that that schedule with Oregon State certainly gives them gives them a chance. Andrew Percival is our guest. Uh, he is uh, the schedule guy on social media. He also sells these posters of your uh, your favorite conference uh, schedule. It gets a whole grid. It would be a cool thing to have on your on your wall or if you're uh, of your uh, man cave or if you've got a college football fan in your life it would be a great gift in front of the college football season um andrew let's let's pivot a little bit to uh looking at some of the other conferences the sec what jumped out at you as you looked at the sec schedule for the year um i mean it, it's a it's a typical typical sec schedule where a lot of the teams are only playing nine power five opponents and that's eight conference and then typically one p5 and and they do that because they expect to win the the a very high percentage of the non-conference games that they do play so that just kind of elevates the, the the entire competition and so the the metaphor that i'll use on that is you know they they say eight times eight is 64 Nine times seven is 63, so our eight is better than your nine as far as their justification of playing on the eight conference games, nine P5s. So you've got the Alabama-Texas non-conference clash, which is huge. You've got LSU-Florida State non-conference clash, which is huge. Um, and then you have a clear contender in the east in Georgia, um, and then the top contenders in the west all miss Georgia. So there's nothing really game-changing about that. Um, I would say, it, you know, it's, it's a very typical, uh, very typical SEC schedule where um, highly likely it's Alabama or LSU out of the West against Georgia in the East, um, and just um, you know how much margin for error the league has collectively will, will come down to the, those that Alabama, Texas, and LSU, Florida State game, especially Texas A&M, Miami. I mean, you've got you've got fun non-conference all around, but um, you know, not not. Uh, not not a ton. It's it's a typical SEC schedule. When you look at you know those schedules, um, you know there are some big games there. And do you do you th- have like big games this season in the SEC that just jump off the grid at you? Yeah, Alabama, Texas, Alabama, LSU, Georgia, Tennessee is a little bit later this year. That's November eighteenth. Um, the Florida Utah non conference game. Um, You've got um, the, the, the usual Florida Georgia showdown, um, and as, as far as as, as misses go, um, with, with with the top three teams in the West all missing Georgia, um, it, there, there's really nothing that noteworthy. I, you know, it's funny when we think about the four team playoff because if I could get you in front of the selection committee, I, I you know, and give you a chance to lobby them. 
you know, looking at the schedules, you know, the numbers you've run over the years, the data, you know, is there a message that you would give to the selection committee or something that's frustrated you as an analytics person? Uh, that's a that's a great question. I mean, I, I think the selection committee has done an excellent job. Does that mean that they put the four best teams in the college football playoff every year? Not even close. Um, the, the, the analytics will often – present a perspective on the sport that um, contradicts the polls to, to a great extent. The most extreme example being in 2015 when you had a Big Ten championship game played between Michigan State and Iowa, um, brought about by an incredible upset that Michigan State had over Ohio State late in the year. But you had that Big Ten championship game where you had two teams that the analytics models tended to carry anywhere from number 10 to as low as number 30 in the case of Iowa in the country, playing ranked as, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it may have been three against four with the winner going to the college football playoff. And um, in that case, I mean, there's the selection committee. They, they, Ohio State is, is far better than both teams, but um, it's, it's not their job to put Ohio State in the field. That would be, you know, kind of the antithesis to what the competition and the, and the standings are all about. So I think they've done a great job. I think if you got them in a room and forced them to um, bet their mortgages on – uh, the, the extent to which their rankings would, would predict game outcomes, I think you might get some different rankings. But um, I, I, think they've, I think they've done a great job. I think they've treated the Pac-12 fairly, even though the Pac-12 has, has missed out um, since 2016. Um, and I think that, um, you know, they, they do a good job in, in terms of messaging. You know, you, you evaluate the whole schedule. Um, you don't necessarily, you know, automatically – make declarations based on how many conference games, how many P5 opponents. You need to evaluate the whole schedule holistically, um, and, and I think I think they've done a good job. Andrew Percival, our guest, the Big Ten Conference. Let's hit them real quick. You know, What do you see? What jumped out at you as you put together that schedule? Um, so, so with the Big Ten, um, you have – one big non-conference game, that's Ohio State at Notre Dame. I mean, so that's that's a big one as as we think about that playoff race, and it's essentially an elimination game where you're trying to win a P5 conference with zero or one losses. So if Ohio State were to drop that game and then maybe drop one in Big Ten play and then go on to win the Big Ten, um, that, could be, that could be big. Uh, Michigan does not play anybody in their P5 um, – or they don't play anybody strong in their non-conference. They've got East Carolina, UNLV, and Bowling Green. That was the result of a cancellation with a series with UCLA that Michigan canceled because they wanted to, to keep playing seven home games. They got in kind of an odd, even odd year pairing with, with the home game count. So um, as, a, as a UCLA fan, I, I'm, I was certainly, you know, I would certainly be frustrated by that. And as a college football game, I'm frustrated that Michigan's not challenging themselves more. Um, you've got, Penn State, West Virginia, that's a fun, um, historic non-conference game. Um, and then in the West, um, where, where, I mean, this league's a little bit like the SEC, where the, 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 the macro storylines are the same every year, where you've got the strong East, the, the less strong West. Um, and um, in, in, the, in the West, you've got Iowa and Illinois and Nebraska and Wisconsin miss two of the three big boys in the East. Um, so that certainly gives them a leg up um, in the West race. But, um, you, and then you've got the, the typical Michigan-Ohio State matchup. You've got Penn State, Michigan State being famously moved to Detroit um, the last week of the season to accommodate television. 
Um, but really, um, I think it, it's the, the storyline is, is, is that Notre Dame non-conference and then um, Michigan has it, has it pretty easy. Andrew, you know, I, I keep thinking about, I can't help but think about USC and UCLA to the Big Ten. 2024 and beyond and you know i know have you done much thinking about that and how those teams might fare in that conference do you have any data or is it just a feel at this point yeah i mean as as a pac-12 fan um i've thought about it a lot it was it was a very very hard day it's a very bad development um i i think that it's it's ultimately I, i think they're both going to be just fine um it is a much harder league to win um that that goes without saying um and that's just because um you know not it's not so much about the bottom half of the league but but the pac-12 since 2017 has had a really hard time producing elite teams and um the big 10 typically has um two or three of them even if they're not necessarily national championship caliber they're they're clearly top top six top eight caliber um and I think the the something that has frustrated me about that whole conversation, and I hear this coming from their fans, is they, they dream about, you know, oh, we'll be going to, to Columbus and Ann Arbor and, and, you know, State College, Pennsylvania and Madison, and all that's true. But with a conference of, of 16 teams, those matchups are going to be spread out over many years. So it's not like they're going to be facing um, anything close to that gauntlet every year. Um, so, I mean, I think over, over a period of time, they'll, they'll hit all those road trips, but I, but it's not going to be a situation where they're playing all those teams in one year. And, um, you know, frankly, I also think it's important to remind ourselves that those two teams combined have managed to win the conference once since uh, the league expanded to 12 in, in 2011. Whereas if you look at um, the big 12 and losing Texas and Oklahoma, even though it's Oklahoma that's doing all that lifting, I mean, I, don't, I couldn't tell you what it is, but seven or eight or nine times since, since 2011, Oklahoma's won the league, maybe seven. Um, so I think, you know, um, if, if USC and UCLA go into the big 10, they have a hard time winning the league. That won't be anything new for them, but they've only done it one time since 2011. All right. How do people get the schedules? I'll tweet out a link, uh, but is there an easy way that you tell people in passing how, how if they want to order one of these schedules, multiple schedules, uh, how do they get them? Yeah. Um, send me an email at cfbschedulepostersgmail.com. at gmail.com, um, or you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at pdog206, P-D-A-W-G-206. Um, and, um, and yeah, if we could tweet out the link and I'll, I'll, I've got, I've got a pinned tweet, um, with the link as well with, with, with ordering information. And so, yeah, just, just get in contact with me. And, um, I mean, at, at the end of the day, I, I, I love the banter. I love the interaction that, that comes from these and, um, definitely put a lot of effort into trying to make it as aesthetically pleasing and as informative as possible. And, and really, um, it just signifies a fantastic time of year, which is, which is these, uh, summer months as we look forward to college football season tomorrow i'll be talking to kaylin DeBoer, michael Penix jr bo nix dan lanning uh, certainly oregon washington is a big game on the husky schedule but give me an idea the fan in you which game do you have circled on that schedule oh it's it's the oregon game of course um that that game i mean it's it's to, to me it's it's one of the the best rivalries in the whole country um I, i've certainly 
behaved in ways over the years, you know, where I've leaned into it pretty heavily. But the older I get, the more I really do just appreciate how you've got these two powerful programs in the Northwest, um, you know, that, that both have probably the closest thing that the Pac-12 has to kind of SEC level intensity with a, with a rivalry. And I've, I've always, uh, Ted Miller, I, with formerly of ESPN, I've always appreciated how he talks about the rivalry over the years. And so it really is something that, um, you know, um, I, I think it's, it's, it's one of the great rivalries in the sport. Um, and so I, I am uh, very much looking forward to that game. Should be a great season. Andrew, I appreciate you joining us. Uh, thanks for, for your time. Thank you, John. Really good stuff. Andrew Percival, I will tweet out a link if you are interested in uh, picking up one of those schedules to put on your wall. Tomorrow it will be Pac-12 Media Day. You're going to want to be here, 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. Caleb Williams, Lincoln Riley, Dan Lanning, Jonathan Smith, Bo Nix, Michael Penix Jr., Jake Dickert, Washington coach Kalen DeBoer, Shador Sanders. Deion Sanders will not be there, but his kid will be there. We'll talk to Shadur Sanders as he makes his debut on the BFT radio show. All of that tomorrow, 3 to 6 p.m. I hope you're there for it. It's going to be an absolute marathon for me. I'm hydrating right now. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Hey, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth radio show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth radio show. Thanks for listening.